So, questions? My mind has a tendency towards fantasy uh, rather than living in reality. Do you have any suggestions to how I can break this pattern so I live in reality? So that's what we're doing. Everybody lives in a fantasy, whether they know it or not. Don't feel you're the only one. The whole world is a fantasy. That's why we have wars and conflicts. I've contemplated that a lot, you know, like fantasy. Then, then there's the real world, which uh, society and civilization kind of dictate to us. What's anything of what what our society tells us is normal and right and wrong and how things should be and and what's real and what's uh, false and what's fantasy and then we uh, so we we adopt the you know we're culturally conditioned so we consider you know like the real world is is a certain kind of perception that everybody accepts as reality but uh, actually that's not the real world you know, some people live, make up their own worlds that are totally different from anyone else. <laughs> and that they're called, uh, you know, mentally uh, disturbed. But uh, it's all, we're all mentally disturbed, really. This whether it's socially acceptable. So, uh, reality, like, and there's another question here about the deathless. Uh, what is the deathless, and how can we know that such a thing exists uh, unless or until we die? And then, uh, you know, so this, I'm not trying to convince you there's a deathless. This uh, deathless is reality. That might not mean very much to you at this present moment, but, but, um, this is this is something. This is not a doc, Buddhist doctrine. I mean, I'm not trying to. It's not a metaphysical uh, terminology. The deathless. Uh, it's not some kind of belief system. It's it's real, and it's and that's where when we when we are mindful, when we begin to recognize or realize mindfulness, this moment, then. That at this very moment, and that is, we call the gate to the deathless. And so the deathless isn't, you can't, if I try to describe the deathless, it's impossible. Because it doesn't have any form. It isn't, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't have any quality. Uh, you know, that, that uh, where all qualities, like good, bad, right, wrong, uh, all these are, uh, are about shapes and qualities and and conditions. So so this is what we're what is this is the fantasy world that we create. We're attached to these shapes and forms, qualities, quantities, conditions, and then this is what we call conditioning, cultural conditioning. Uh, religious conditioning, uh, self-view, the ego, 
uh, in uh, Pali, uh, they call it Sakya Diti Silabhata Baramasa. So like in the Pali, they have these ten fetters, uh, ten things that, that block off uh, freedom from delusion. And the first three uh, are the conditions we acquire after we're born. They're all about conditioning of the mind after you're born. Not you, you are. It's not about the the sabawa dhamma, but about about the conditions after you're born. So uh, consider that your consciousness, your born consciousness, is is natural, as I was saying last night. Body is a natural condition. Consciousness. But that sense of yourself, I am uh, English, I am uh, Thai, I am uh, working class, middle class, upper class, I am classless, I'm a good person, I'm a bad person, I'm lovable, I'm not, I'm a male, I'm a man or a woman, boy or a girl, these these are acquired, these kind of words and concepts, identities are acquired after, you know, through the conditioning process. Well, this is language, isn't it? Language is also conditioned. You aren't born speaking English or Italian or any other language. So you, you're just noticing that that, that just pointing out, just making, trying to get you to contemplate what is, what you don't create through ignorance. And so, uh, ignorance then in this in this instance is not not a, not being uh, you know not knowing reality, not recognizing reality. Then we are caught in 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 a world of our own creation. You know the sense of me and mine, my separateness, my identity with the body, nationality, class, race, gender, age, all this is, is conditioned. Well, these are all fantasies, actually, because, you know, they're creations, and then we, these creations, we, we, we never question. But these are also forms, like you can definitely create male forms, female forms, beautiful forms, ugly forms. You can create, uh, um, you know, conditions about right and wrong, what, what is a, what, what we, the society approves of and what it doesn't approve of. Oh no, this is, these are creations. But, Behind all creation is the uncreated, or the deathless. Now this is what you're actually recognizing with awareness. This is the only possibility any of us have for for not being caught in the trap of condition of attachment to conditions. So these words like you can create any form, any condition, form that begins and ends. So it is like birth and death. Birth is the cause of death. So, you, or you can 
create forms of any kind, you know, that because they have shape, they have color, they have uh, a form, they have boundary, they have qualities, one opposed to the other. You know, you've got black and white, and you've got sun and moon, and all these, you know, if you've got one, you've got the other, you've got the positive and the negative. So this is the conditioned realm that is very nature is impermanent. It's a nicha. It's a pe sankara nicha. Sankara is the Pali word for condition. Means something created, something that arises and ceases. So that means your thoughts are created, your emotions, your, your, you know, the, the, your body is a, is a creation. You didn't create it out of ignorance. But you identify with it out of ignorance. You, 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 you believe it's me, my, my, what I am is this body. You, your emotions, you, you believe you, they're yours. Your feelings of elation or depression or happiness or suffering, you feel are yours. My, my feelings, my emotions, my memories. But when you're looking at these things and for what they are, memory, emotion, the sense of yourself, identity with the body, all of this, what is it? It it comes and goes. There's no there's no essence or substance. It's like they say, like foam on the sea or soap bubbles. It has nothing to it, but it it, it just you know, it, it comes and goes and it is what it is. It's not. You can, well, you can't judge it as right and wrong because those then you're creating conditions upon conditions. So this is where in this uh, this uh, path of the Buddha, this letting go of the conditioned world doesn't mean annihilating it or destroying it, but recognizing it, realizing. So these these words like realizing. Reality, recognizing. It's not that, you know, it's not that you, it's, it's absent in any way. It's just not recognized as such. So, you, you know, the point of this retreat is to recognize. It's not as some, some, something that you can describe, you know, it doesn't have any form, but it is. And it, you, you know, it's, it's here and now. It's it's so simple, so real that you easily overlook, because you're always say your habits are to always go from one thing to another, go from one thought to another, keep looking for something, or trying to control or control the mind, or get something you don't have or get rid of something you have you don't like so so that's where this this buto tamo relationship of buddha to dhamma is uh, is so useful uh, like a, as a concept it's a convention also just words <clears throat> but it is a skillful use of words which which remind us because uh, we do forget 
it's so easy to be pulled back into our uh, uh, the sense of me and what I think, what I feel, my life, my view, my problems, and and then it, and because that that has a lot of feeling to it. The sense of myself, my my ego, my sakyaditi, there's always a sense of me. So this, notice how even that pronoun, me, becomes emphasized. Don't forget me. And so this is, uh, you know, this is emotional, you know, afraid of being dismissed. And I, I don't want to feel I'm just overlooked and dismissed. I want you to recognize me. And so we live in this realm of the, the, the this uh, sense of, a, of what they call sakya ditti or self view, personality view, which is centered on this illusion. Now, me is always has boundaries, has qualities personality isn't it charming or boring or ebullient or depressed or fascinating or a bore just an ordinary guy <laughs> special how many of you want to be think of yourself as special you know that's that my you know my personality, I always, I never wanted to be just an ordinary person. I always saw myself as special. And uh, so I, I aimed for being special because being ordinary seemed like, you know, failure in life. Just, just one of the vulgar herd, another sheep in the flock. Uh, this is, you know, some people don't mind that, would rather just be, one, you know, one of the, ordinary person but I but also there's this fear of, of just being of not be succeeding at it what if you know you have your have your uh, fortune told and you say oh you you are very special and you like that and those fortune teller tells oh you're just an ordinary nothing special about you even if I could be the world's most boring person at least that's special so and in monastic life uh, you know we look at, you know, who's enlightened, who's, uh, you know, people go to Thailand and they, and they look at the, I want to meet the enlightened masters. And so they go around looking for arahants, you know, and this is, you know, when you really like how conceited this is, you know, some, some European goes to Thailand looking for arahants. They don't know what it is, but it is obviously special, isn't it? And so, it's like Superman, or he's, he's special. So, so then we, you know, and then in Thai, even the Thais, they look for, uh, you know, for monks that can perform psychic powers and read minds and do fantastic things because that's special. So, fortunately, uh, you know, my experience with Lung Po Cha, Jan Cha, was. He always was using the word ordinary, uh, you know, so that I began to get the idea of a monastic training where you, you're moving toward the ordinary. You're not trying to, to be the best monk or the, the, you know, be, be a special kind of person.
on a cultural level, I'm conditioned for that, you know, the cultural conditioning. But in the monastic system, it's all kind of conformity to to uh, a tradition, and 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 you and you begin to, you know, you, your idea is to surrender to that convention, uh, so that you can see, you, you know, your how your ego operates within it, and so you, you know, this idea of ordinariness is. Uh, and but then we can see like becoming a stream enterer, a sotapanna. People, you know, if a <coughs> people take uh, stream entry courses, <laughs> they have they have enlightenment courses. I think in the United States, weekend uh, intensive enlightenment courses. Now that sounds, you know, who wants to waste your life just? Plugging away being ordinary, when I mean, you could spend several thousand dollars and get enlightened on a weekend in a five star hotel <laughs> if you've got the money. But the, um, so uh, noticing how, how these terms like stream enter or, or the four stages, Sotapanna, Sakada, Kamiyana, Kamiyana, these, these become like, uh, um, P-A-M-A-P-A-G. You know, it's the way we think, isn't it? The way the the mind, the thinking process moves like that. Attainment, achievement. Like Arahant has achieved the most. That's the, you know, the that's the pinnacle. That's the, the top of the line. The real success story. But when you, when you contemplate the ten fetters, and the lists, you know, Theravata, Pali Buddhism is great for having these lists of things. And, uh, these ten, the first fetter then towards liberation is uh, seen through the Sakya Ditti, which is uh, translated personality view or what we oftentimes refer to as the ego, a sense of one's sep- separate self, self-worth, self-identity. And, and then that is a creation, you know, like, like uh, this is important to explore this as sakyaditi is not trying to there's nothing wrong with sakyaditi it's attachment to it believing in it that that we we suffer we create suffering so we're not trying to suppress the ego but to recognize the ego because like consciousness is not the ego but you create yourself as a separate person in consciousness. So because we're conscious, then we can also create ourselves. So we experience our life through our perceptions, our the sense of our ego and, and these uh, fantasies or these illusions of self and the world. So we create the world, we create ourselves, into consciousness but if we let go of self and the world there's still consciousness doesn't mean you you go and you you know you drop into oblivion so then consciousness is again you know recognized as even though each one of us is experiencing consciousness now how do you know the difference between do you know, can you recognize just pure consciousness or are you just, you know, sitting here thinking about yourself? 
and and thinking and planning and remembering and worrying and so forth and this sense of me and my life and what I think well this would be impossible if there were no consciousness but but you create that you know so each one of us creates a separate self like my ego is going to be different from yours there's not you don't you don't think of yourself as Ajahn Sumedho, do you? Yeah, I mean, I have no objection. I don't feel it, it's mine, you know. But uh, but the memories, you know, of of my memories and and uh, reactions to life and that are, are, you know, in quality are different. And so each one, we have our own, what we call our own karmic inheritance. So we're born in these bodies so the bodies are all different one from the other you know so they get their genetic inheritance from our parents and so they operate you know we have in proclivities and tendencies and and so forth according to inheritance then previous lives and karma <coughs> through these forms because we inherit this this forms through the through the union of our mother and father, then this is the result. But it's still not a personality till till it's conditioned to think of itself as belonging to this family, this this group, this identity. Now I'm not asking you to believe this. Everything I say is for investigation. It's to, you know, trying to encourage you to investigate the world that you create and the sense of yourself not from a critical position I'm not telling you that you shouldn't create the world or you shouldn't have any ego because that's impossible we've you know this is part of the 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 karma of being a human being uh but the also the gift of being human is our ability to reflect on it we're not just helpless victims of the conditioning. You know, no matter what the conditioning might be, you know, if we, if we've, you know, born into uh, poor, you know, as an orphan with no, uh, in a poor country, uh, and uh, with all the worst possible things that you can imagine. You could see yourself as a victim, or if you awake and you begin to, you know, you can, you can, you don't have to be the victim anymore because no matter what conditions you're experiencing now, the awareness of them is the way to liberation, freedom from this cycle, this recreating yourself, recreating the conditions, this, this blind attachment, unquestioned identity with conditioned phenomena. So you notice the Buddha put it, the, all, the, all conditions are impermanent. There's not, some conditions are more impermanent than others, or it's, it's a, a, a blanket statement, you know. All conditions are impermanent. Sape sankara. Sape means all conditions. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's not to be grasped as a, 
something to believe in, but something to use for investigation. So what conditions are we experiencing now? We talk about, well, we know universal systems are impermanent, and the sun, you know, is impermanent, and English weather is impermanent. <laughs> you know, we can we can believe, you know, we can see impermanence, uh, uh, you know, something distant or, you know, as a, as a, as a concept that we can believe in. Because it's quite a reasonable thing to believe in. But in terms of the self, when you begin to see the self is impermanent, the Sakya Diji, and you can go say, well, I know my ego's impermanent. But that's not, you're not really, you're just believing. You know, Buddha says so, so you believe it. No, when you're investigating, you're actually in looking at the self, you know, this feeling of me and mine. It's like this. And and then, let's say, how I've, how I've uh, investigated the self is by really being, in being a self, you know, you know, rather than just trying to, to not be a self or be ordinary, you know, just kind of may, you know, really listen uh, to the ego. So, in uh, say, in my life as a Buddhist monk, you know, that the, the, uh, you know, you're always, you know, you're you're thrown into, uh, you know, as ordained in Thailand. So, you know, I had to learn. Uh, Thai language and <clears throat> adapt to different society and culture, and so there's a lot of, you know, s- frustration and misunderstanding, and you know, the, trying to to understand an, another language, learn another language. Everybody's talking away, and you don't know what they're saying, and then you get frustrated and irritated and then get paranoid and all kinds of re- emotional reactions I experience and then but then turning to that you see observing these feelings this is uh, like Lung Pa Chao's great gift in teaching was getting you to look at what you're actually feeling and thinking in the present So, you know, you know, I could justify my feelings or, you know, I could feel very righteous and, uh, and, uh, you know, how I felt about things. But it's not a matter of being right or wrong, but observing, being the, being this knowing. This is the, the Sakyaditi is like this. This sense of me and mine is like this. Now then you begin to, if you do this, then you, you know, you you question, you know, that which is aware of me, this awareness is one thing, and then the sense of me is a construction. I have to think the word me. If I, if I don't think, if the thinking process stops, then there's consciousness. So, and that that's not a self, you know. I can't to 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 create the self. I have to start thinking. I am me. I am 
73 years old. I am a Theravadan Buddhist monk. Or I am special, I'm ordinary, I'm whatever. It doesn't matter. What, whatever quality, a good, bad, high, low, intelligent, stupid, it's all the same. They're all conditions are impermanent. So it's not saying, you know, talking about some conditions are more impermanent than others. I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, the solar system or your thought. Now, what you can observe, you know, you can't, I can't really observe the solar system from a kind of, you know, mac, um, macrocosmic position. I'm not God, where I'm outside all I can look at the whole universal system. I'm sitting here on this platform looking at you. Walls are getting in the way, see beyond. Then there's a building next to this. Then just on the level of sight, you know, there's the conditioning of, you know, the sense of myself. I'm sitting here. I'm the teacher. I am this, you know, and, and so, and I feel like this, and I think like this. So listening to this, this is what I can, these conditions that I'm experiencing now is good enough. If You know, if you get, you know, like the Buddha said his teaching was a handful of leaves. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, you don't need to count every leaf in the, in the forest. Because you'll never succeed at it. And it's pointless. It's a waste of time trying to, <coughs> to uh, know all the conditions in the whole universe. You'd go crazy. So just the, these conditions, with all the five khandas or five groups, uh, is a simplification of everything. So they're like there are five groups that that make a, that where you can get perspective on the conditioned realm. And so the commonality of say the 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 rupa the body vedana feeling sanya perception sankara uh, conditions conceptions and when and consciousness vijnana sense consciousness because we're con you know we we're conscious through the senses. So this is, you know, in in vipassana, you're kind of, kind of investigating these five khandhas and then the senses, the six senses, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. So there's six senses in uh, Buddha Buddhist teaching, <laughs> and so these are these are just expedient means for get, having perspective on the conditioned realm. If we don't have this, then we do. We get caught up into it, and um, and then we tend to to have no perspective on it because how we relate to the sense world is so conditioned by cultural attitudes. You know how we you know weigh cultural ideals. So and personal preferences and views and opinions. So that's why. In taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this is this is uh, impersonal. It's not not for the ego to to uh, grasp, 
but it's it's a reminder, a skillful means to remember this awareness, puto damo, the the way it is. Now the way it is, no matter what the condition you're experiencing now, is a changing. And so ob- investigating change is, you know, like feeling makes a strong sense of so whether I feel at ease or I feel tense or I feel positive or negative or I feel happy or sad. I mean, these are strong sense of a self, you know, of my emotional world. It, you know, is a very strong sense of, uh, you know, gives a strong sense of a self. And, and, but yet being aware of the emotional feeling of the present is like this. That which is aware of sadness, of happiness, of feeling secure, insecure, feeling loved or hated or whatever is like this. So then you're, by, by contemplating this way, you're, you're beginning to, to recognize these con- these are conditions, these emotional states, being elated or depressed, be feeling hope or despair, or whatever they're, they're like this. And that which is aware of them is not a condition. Can hope ever be aware of despair? Or happiness, is it, does it can it can reflect on on uh, unhappiness you know elation is that a good way to to understand what depression is they call it bipolar now manic depressive isn't it uh, when you're manic you you know i'll never be depressed again i'm just the world is fantastic and then when you're depressed you i'll never be happy ever again so, because these these emotions are very convincing, and the, when they, when we're grasping them, but it, this is where when we we let go of these emotions, we're not getting rid of them. We're observing them. It's our willingness to look at feeling depressed, despairs like this. And in this way, then I begin to what I'm doing then is noticing this the mood or a kind of feeling, uh, an ambience, uh, ap- internal atmosphere uh, that I make that is present at this moment. Not to not to judge it or you know, if I call oh I'm depressed, then I'm making it more than that. I'm making it mine and and calling it depressed is always giving it, you know, something that is not very good. It's not good to be depressed. So I'm somebody who's depressed, and then the the kind of logic that comes from I shouldn't be. What's wrong with me? Whose fault is it? And it goes on into complicated patterns. But if you if you begin to trust just the awareness of that, then you actually in that moment of attention to a condition, you're actually letting it go. Is that very? It's. Uh, at that very time, you're letting go of it just by by being aware of it. It's like this. 
So that's that's why I, I use this. It's like this, or the way it is. The suchness, the da da da, is like this. Because then this 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 is a reflective statement, but it it's not defining or describing anything. It's merely helps you to notice, accept something that maybe you've spent your life trying to reject or resist. Now this really is uh, very useful, you know, if you want to be free from suffering because this realm that we're living in is not a, a fairyland or, a, you know, it's not Garden of Eden. It's not uh, um, utopia. It's not what it should be, according to an ideal. So we, you know, we want the world to, we would like life and ourselves and others and so to be what they should be. If everything were right and fair and there was justice and mercy, then everything would be wonderful. Then I'd be happy. But this realm that we're in, recognize, is not that way. It's about birth and death. About success and failure, happiness and suffering. Being healthy or sickly. I mean, this is, is, you know, we we would like it to be just on the positive side. but, But we learn from old age, sickness, death. We usually learn from that more than from happiness and success. Uh, you know, how many people have you become interested in meditation when your life, you know, goes the other way, when you're in the midst of elation and happiness and success? Who wants to spend uh, two weeks here? You're out living it up, enjoying it all. But, but then when, you know, and then also we begin to, see, as we get older, we begin to see through a lot of the illusory happiness, the ha-ha-ha kind of glamour and, and that of our modern society. You know, we, we begin to see through the, the silliness and foolishness of our own society, too. So we, you know, we, you know, we intuit there's more to life than just, you know, partying and having a, uh, Mercedes and wearing fashionable clothes and so even though we might be able to afford the, this uh, you know expensive lifestyle we, there's something also awakening you know this is like in the story of the Buddha Prince Siddhartha he you know it's a story of someone who had everything all the, all the good things going for him And yet, the devadutas of old age, sickness, death, and the samana, the monastic, these were these were suddenly, you know, they the devadutas are like messengers. They they startle you, they awaken you, they touch you in some way because we all know that we're going to get old, that sickness and weakness and and disease are even though we'd like to get rid of it. It is very much a part of our karma. And that we all have to experience, uh, you know, even if we're in the best of health, we have to experience 
colds and flu and and on that you know headaches and backaches and then now you know like Ajahn Yanareto uh, had uh, operation for cancer bladder and he was total surprise to him and to all of us because I didn't think of all the monks Ajahn Yanareto it's not fair He's such a nice monk. He shouldn't get one of the other monks, maybe, but not. So this is, you know, this this. Uh, the, the, but then we see it as Devaduta rather than poor me. I've got the cancer, and it's not. You know, I've led a good life. I've been a monk all these years, and I've been moral and keeping to the vinyan, and I should be rewarded for this. This is sakyadity, isn't it? <laughs> the self-view, you know. I, I should be rewarded for being behaving myself, <clears throat> and only the 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 monks that haven't behaved themselves should get cancer. It's a kind of punishment. There's a you know that's sakyaditi or ego. But that's how oftentimes we think. You know, you should for being good, you should be rewarded, and bad for being naughty and bad, you should be punished. But this is this is reward and punishment is is very much the dualism of that the ego attaches to. So you know, in 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 this way, where we learn from rewards and punishment, from aging, from good health, bad health, from loss. We all have to experience loss before we die. You know, the grief of parents getting old and dying, and, or spouses, or our own children, or, or close friends, or whoever. You know, there's a pet, our dog or cat, we feel grief when they die. Because that's, that's just the way it is. You know, the, the, uh, when we, uh, where there's loss of the love, then there's grief. Now this is a devaduta. It's not something wrong with you, or that if you were really mindful, you'd never feel grief. It's just recognizing grief is like this: losing uh, a friend, or uh, a spouse, or parents, or whatever, or a dog or a cat, whatever, it's loss is like this. And so when noticing this sense of when when somebody uh, you love dies, this, then this is time to observe. This grief is like this. And this very willingness to accept grief, but not seeing it in personal terms anymore, not making it into some personal experience, but it's like this. Losing the loved is like this. Now when I'm doing this, I can, it allows me to accept what this, this, uh, this sense of loss. It still feels grief. I'm not getting rid of the feeling. I'm, I'm just uh, willing to let it be what it is. 
And I found out that it's a feeling I can bear, you know, I can, it's not, you know, it isn't, it's nothing to be afraid of, it's just uh, in, um, oftentimes we don't feel, you know, that we, sh- we, we, uh, we don't want to feel this. Or people don't want us to grieve. You say, oh, you know, just snap out of it. Life goes on. Thanks a lot, you know. Don't be a nuisance. Don't make a scene. And so this is, uh, you know, the society we, we, you know, it's, you know, also doesn't like to, doesn't want us to, to feel this emotion. But this is a natural emotion to the, to, uh, to human beings. And so it's a teaching. It's teaching us rather than, you know, a proof that we're not being mindful enough or we're still bound to Sankhara, some kind of ominous sign of of our egos. But whatever you're feeling, you know, it's, it's the way it is. It is like this. The first noble truth is that there is this suffering or this stress or this grief it's like this. And so you're, you're actually understanding it. You're, you're, you're allowing to, yourself to feel this. Now, from the ego level, you might think, oh, I shouldn't indulge in grief and, you know, you want to get rid of it or that. So the, the ego will come in and maybe make comments and, and tell you how you should feel or, or, you know, the rational mind's very good at, the rational thought doesn't feel grief at all, you know. Oh, don't be so silly. Everybody dies. Just get on with life. Stiff upper lip. Don't be a nuisance. And that's that's the 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 hard uh, callous intellect. It tells you, you know, how things should be. You see what I mean? This, this, it's not, it's not, you know, the, if you consider. The thinking process is dualistic. So, and, and even when we talk about the unconditioned, in, in now in in uh, Pali Buddhism, they, they have some very wise teachings. Like there is the unconditioned, and uh, what is that? Can you imagine? Try to figure out what that is, the unconditioned. Can you draw me a picture of the unconditioned? What color is it? You know, uh, and what shape is it? Where is it? But I say, okay, there is the conditioned. Now you could come up with anything for that. You know, a star, a square, hexagram trapezoid, a female form, male form. You could color it red or green or blue, yellow, pink, orange, purple. It has shape and form, the conditions. It can be big or small, beautiful or ugly. But but the unconditioned, is it ugly? Is it beautiful? Is it, you know, and, you, you know, you, your thinking process stops. You can't, 
create an image of it. So we we it's a negation of condition, isn't it? The unconditioned and the condition. So that's the that's how the language works. Recognize how how the thinking process operates. So like the Buddha is pointing in the Four Noble Truths, he's pointing at suffering or dukkha as the first noble truth. Now that we can all recognize. And that that's the kind of ordinary experience that every human being has. It can be square or star-shaped or trapezoid, purple or pink or anything. <laughs> uh, dukkha, eh, there's dukkha. Now that that recognizing of dukkha understanding of dukkha then through that then you begin to to realize the deathless or the freedom from dukkha it's that that immediate the freedom the liberation from dukkha is through recognition understanding of it rather than annihilating all suffering that's ideal utopia or heaven is a place where there's no suffering. Everything is just what we want it to be. All conditions are beautiful and permanent and as fairness and justice and everything is the way it should be. And, you know, because the function of thought, you know, you create superlatives. The best, and then we want, we would like to create a world where everything is at its best. But that is a futile attempt because things, you know, the best is only, not you can't sustain the best on the conditions. Conditions change. So they they rise up and then they go down. You're born, you grow up, you get old and die. And that's just the way it is. So this is awakening to reality conditions are this way and then we seek we we recognize the conditions we, we know them for what they are and that's buddha knowing dhamma and then that the reality is the deathless so so i mean this this takes you beyond thinking to pure consciousness, wisdom. It's panya or discernment. So that's why knowing this world for what it is, it's not judging the world. You notice I'm not judging the world, saying it's a bad world or it's a good world. Because the world changes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But even when it's good, it's impermanent. When it's bad, it's impermanent. And that which is, which is awake to the impermanence, knows impermanence, is the deathless. So this is, you know, this is the true nature of things. It's real. It's not. It's not created. It's not an illusion depending on other conditions supporting it. Like tranquility, getting very calm and peaceful, so that emotionally you're in a state of equanimity. 
tranquil equanimity, which is very pleasant, which is some sometimes what we want from our meditation, where we, we go into a kind of tranquil equanimity. We like to stay there forever. Because it is so pleasant. But also, you know, suddenly things start changing. Uh, they, you know, the people slam the door or the weather changes or somebody's mowing the grass or the bell rings. Uh, you have to go back to London for something. <laughs> and you can't sustain such a lovely state of equanimous tranquility. Because it's dependent on, on say, sensory deprivation or control of conditions. So nothing strident or harsh or demanding or unpleasant is impinging on you. But how can we live in such a, how can we demand that as our way of life? You know, we have to live with other people in society like this. Which is, you know, not what it should be, but it is the way it is. And so this isn't just a kind of dismissal of, uh, you know, of indifference to it, but recognizing that at this moment, whatever you're feeling or thinking, it is the way it is. And that's an honest reflection, you know, I'm not telling you how you should feel at this moment, that's conceit, isn't it? If I say, you should feel like this, then I'm kind of uh, using my position to uh, to intimidate you, telling you how you should feel. But you can't. You can't feel what I think you should feel. You're feeling what you're feeling. That's the way it is. But to know that feeling is feeling is is then seeing the Dhamma, realizing all conditions are impermanent. Realizing non-suffering is 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 our is our reality, ultimate reality. That we that is always here and now. Never we're never absent from it. We just forget it. It's not something you don't have and you've got to get through going on this retreat. It's You've never, ever, you know, lost it. It's just you forget. And you get caught up in your delusions. So that's why this remembering, this sati, sati, uh, this value of sati, or remembering this, to remember the here and now. Mindfulness here and now is a way of opening, you know, reminding ourselves to pay attention to open out. It's an open, Sati Sambhachanya is an open uh, consciousness. We're not, we're not focusing on one thing anymore, but allowing to open wide like this to receive everything at this moment as it is. Where when we're caught in our preferences and choices and we want to, I want this, but I don't want that, you know, Though we try to we close our eyes and try to concentrate on something to shut out everything else, 
you know, they don't want the the rest. So we're we're trying to absorb into one thing, and that's the samatha meditation. Concentration practices. And then vipassana is this is not focusing on an object and, and one thing, but uh but using sati sampachanya or recognizing this pure conscious which includes everything. Consciousness, everything's in consciousness. You know, everything belongs, the the devils, the angels, <coughs> the loud cacophonous noises or the celestial harmonies or whatever. <laughs> everything belongs. It's not, it's not a point of trying to get annihilate the bad thing because they belong too. Their conditions changing. So during this retreat, let's see, you know, like this is mindfulness really unconstructed or is it shaped by wiser foolish intentions? Uh you don't it's not constructed. And and it's aware of your intention. <laughs> you call it whatever your intention is. Wiser foolish. <laughs> but you know the intention really for meditation is is uh, is realizing nibbana. That's the goal. Now, what does that mean, really, in practical terms? Is is opening, you know, opening to life, really recognizing the true nature of things. Be free from delusion. Free from the bondage that you create about yourself and, and the world, you know, the, the prejudices, biases, identities that hold you and constrict you and bind you to unsatisfactory condition. So this is, um, this is what I'm interested in. You probably noticed. Everything else bores me, really. <laughs> All the petty problems of the world, oh God! But then that's you know, seeing that is just the way it is, rather than. But you know how how we can create you know scenarios of doom, destruction, death, decay, and hurt feelings and misunderstandings and how things should be, and we get caught up in this. So your one's life is 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 so flavored with crises and feeling of being offended or hurt by life where where I found that there's no end to that you know that how can you satisfy everybody and make and not offend anyone ever you know so you just you try but you know inevitably just by being alive, you're going to offend somebody. So it's not the point, is it? But to to really uh, look at that, you know, the that sense of a self, and to learn from it, to trust in this, in the, in this the perfection of being aware, rather than quibbling endlessly about the condition. 